Hey, Corey here, and this is Everything is Marketing. Other marketing podcasts might give you the highlight reel or focus on a particular industry, strategy, or tactic, but this podcast explores marketing from every angle and allows you to get inside the head of the guest to really understand who they are and how they think. SavvyCal is a new scheduling tool that replaces tools like Calendly, Acuity, and X.ai. You shouldn't have to feel weird about sending out your scheduling link. Most scheduling tools put the burden of finding a time on the recipient, but SavvyCal makes it easy for both you and the recipient to find a mutual time in an instant. Create a free account at SavvyCal.com EIM, and you can also get your first month of a paid account free by using the code EIM. On the show today is Jordan O'Connor. Jordan is the founder of Closet Tools, which is a web app that helps Poshmark sellers. I wanted to bring him on because Jordan has an inspirational story going from literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loan debt to making over $40,000 per month as a solar founder of a software company. And you'll hear how just five blog posts drive the majority of the traffic and revenue for Closet Tools, the strategies he used to get his first users, and how he thinks about platform risk. To start out, did you ever think that you'd be running a SaaS business for a living? Um, I don't know. Um, I think eventually I, I knew that's exactly what was going to happen, uh, but it took a long time to really? get there. I think I, I think I thought that I was going to be running some type of services-based business where like, I did some sort of skill for other people, um, mm-hmm. but I did that so many times enough to the point where I just hated it because there's just a lot of things that disagree with how I do things. Um, So then I knew inevitably if I was going to make something work, it had to be some sort of product and I knew how to code and and I like making apps. So I knew it was going to be a SaaS, uh, SaaS business. So um, yeah, so it's kind of a, it was a, it was a windy road that kind of eventually led to this is the thing that fits with your, your lifestyle, your skill set, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, today at the founder of uh, Closet Tools, I believe still a one man show, unless that's changed since the last time nope. I knew. Yeah. Um, could you walk me through just like a brief timeline of how you got to where you are today? Like what's kind of the story, the backdrop, um, the things people need to know to kind of wrap up and, you know, give context into what we're going to talk about a little bit more with Closet Tools? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, if you jump back uh, probably about five years now, uh, I graduated from a technical college at RIT in, in Rochester uh, for electrical engineering. So by trade, I'm an electrical engineer. Uh, and I worked at Corning, who makes like Gorilla Glass. I didn't make Gorilla Glass. They have a bunch of other products and stuff. Um, I made lithography lenses. Um, I worked for Corning for at, at, before I started Closet Tools, about five years. Um, so I did a lot of uh, what I call like robotics code, uh, a lot of C. Um, you know, controlling motors, acquiring data, doing, you know, different math on data to get different analysis and stuff like that. So that was like my trade. That's what I did. Um, and it was fun. Actually, it was really great. I, I really love my job. Um, the thing that really made me push towards the entrepreneurship route was having the student loans that I had um, going to RIT. I pretty much loaned the whole thing out as a private school, ended up being like 150K in debt. Um, and then that combined when I got married, it combined my wife's student loan debt at a total of like 200 K. Um, and I was getting paid, you know, reasonably well. I was making like 80 K a year, uh, and, and the cost of living is not that expensive here. So it was pretty reasonable, but, uh, you know, just about half of my income was going to student loans. Um, so 
I got to this point where I was like, I really, if I ever want to be out of debt and have a little bit of freedom in my life, uh, I need to find a way to kind of clean up this hole, fill in this hole that I dug for myself uh, very quickly in life. Um, and so for a few years, so about uh, three years before I started Closet Tools, um, I had just gotten married and actually pretty quickly we had our first son. Um, and uh, so I had... I had this kind of switch flip where I was like, okay, this is kind of like the only opportunity I have to really break this cycle of like, you know, having all this debt, being employed, because life's only going to get more chaotic. I'm going to have more kids, all these obligations and stuff like that. So um, I was like, all right, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to figure some stuff out. I'm going to learn how to do something. I'm going to sell my skills. I'm going to sell something. I'm going to figure this out. Um, And so I started out. Um, you know, I know how to code. I love coding. So I was like, I'm going to make an app. That was like my first thing. This is like five years ago. I was like, I'm, I'm going to make an app. Um, and so I took some, uh, web development courses online, um, just from like Udemy. And I actually got to the point where I could make like static sites. Like great. It was like, I was really enjoying it. I was doing it well. And for some reason I knew about Hacker News at that time. And I was on Hacker News one day and, um, it was somebody in the comments. They were like, Oh, um, you know, coding is the easy part. You know, marketing is really the the thing that you need to understand if you want to start a real business. Uh, so that was when I would, it kind of opened my eyes to be like, oh, even as a developer, there's a lot of other things that go into you know making this actually work as a full time income. Um, and at that point, um, I had already been blogging. I had a personal blog that I was writing about everything that I was doing. I was kind of just documenting the journey, and it was mostly just for me, just so I could kind of. Uh, express my thoughts and actually and also be able to like look back and just see you know where it came from and uh, so I kind of was like in this blogging mode writing first mode Uh, and so SEO fit really well with just how I did things Um, and so I decided to go 100% on SEO Uh, so I took another course so the course thing is actually uh, uh, pretty paramount to how this whole journey went um, so I took another course from Viper Chill, uh, at Viper Chill on Twitter. Uh, he had a course back then called Marketing Inc. And it was actually a course for starting your own SEO service. It wasn't necessarily just like how to do SEO. It was like how to do SEO and sell SEO to businesses. Um, so I did that and I actually started trying to sell SEO to businesses. Um, but <laughs> this weird thing happened where... Um, I started doing SEO for businesses and because I was so green, I was just like, I'm just going to do this for free for you. Cause like, I don't, you know, I have no proof that this is actually even going to work for you guys, but I know how to do it and it's pretty valuable. But you know, I would, I would, I would do all this keyword research for them. And, and, and you're talking like ten hundred thousand dollars a month in traffic that they could have gotten from my services. And I was doing it for free. And I was like, you know, like, why, why would I do this for somebody else when I can just do this for myself? You know, like, it's not that hard. Like, I have the blueprint. I can do it. And so that was when I kind of committed to doing some sort of uh, SEO-based, uh, you know, marketing thing for myself. Um, and so I also, before that, I also tried to do web development as a service for other people. And kind of a similar thing happened where, like, I wanted to do it one way. They wanted to do it another way. And it just didn't really fit. Like I needed something where if I made it and then like I sold it and if you wanted it, you could buy it. If you don't want it, you don't have to buy it. And so the product route was the only way to do that. And so I actually, um, I, I needed a way to kind of practice my 
product skills. Um, and so I actually did a Kickstarter. Um, this would be like 2018, 2017, somewhere in there. Um, I actually did a physical product. It was a black paper, like a like basically like a black paper moleskin. My wife was really into art, and she used black paper, but there was there wasn't an existing like journal that had black paper. And I thought it would be really cool, and a lot of other people thought it would be really cool too. Um, but the issue with physical products is you need like a ton of uh, cash up front to have inventory to actually start selling the products. You know, you have to run manufacturing. You've got to buy thousands of uh, products up front, and then you have to find a way to obviously sell those. So I ran a Kickstarter to get that jump started, and I needed like 15k, and I got like 13k, um, and and I got that actually mostly from uh, Facebook ads. I tried to do it as fast as I possibly could. I spent like 2,500 in Facebook ads. Um, over the course of like three or four months and um, that was what I ended up with so uh, I think ultimately like yes yeah, so it didn't work out but I learned a lot during that time and I think uh, I'm really thankful for that because um, understanding that the physical product route meant you needed a bunch of money up front to you know get that started I'm glad that I figured that out because then I was like oh wait I, f I forgot the five years ago Jordan I'm gonna make an app guy was right because it doesn't cost anything to make an app <laughs> and you could do it yourself and, and and so like it just kind of like all of these kind of worlds collided and i was like i'm gonna make an app and so all during this time um i had been you know using my services to help people i made websites for like churches and stuff i did like i helped people out i made personal websites for people um i helped somebody make a trucking app front end back end it was really cool uh, so I like used all those those uh, opportunities to kind of learn skills, and so uh, something came up where my wife's friends started using Poshmark, and uh, for those of you who don't know, Poshmark is basically uh, it's a retail site where you can sell used or new clothing, um, and 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 it's I guess you could kind of call it like a niche eBay where like. Um, it's mostly for women's clothes, but there's also a bunch of other, you know, products on there that you can sell. Um, and and uh, my wife had just started using it because her friends were using it, and they were making, you know, a thousand bucks a month, two thousand bucks a month. And of course, we, you know, we're strapped for cash. A lot of our money's going towards debt. So she starts doing that just to kind of supplement some income. Even if she wanted to buy new clothes, she could use that money from selling clothes to buy new clothes, kind of thing. Um, and right away, I noticed some inefficiencies in how it was going. And I was like, hey, I think I can write a script to kind of automate some of these things that you're doing. Um, and so I did that. And, I, and, and it was like, I don't know, maybe 25 lines of code. And it was a button. It was actually a, a bookmarklet. So like, if you don't know that, um, you can just embed JavaScript in a bookmark on Google Chrome. And you click it, and it executes the JavaScript. Uh, so that's what we would, they would do. You would, uh, you would click the button. And then it would just execute the script and it would go through and what what it did at that time was share all of your items and um, Poshmark is unique. It's not like eBay in a way because it's actually more like social media where you have to share your items to your followers basically for your followers to, or for your items to get in front of your followers. Um, and that was like one of the major things that I saw was like this doesn't need to be a manual process like this is something that can be automated um, and they do that because uh, they want really high user engagement. They want people in the app on the platform doing stuff. So they put these barriers in place to keep, you know, people in the app 
keep things real time and live. Um, and so that inefficiency will never go away. That that's something that's built in and baked into the platform. Um, so anyways, I built, I wrote this script and I put it on my blog. Um, and I, you know, called it like, like Poshmark sharing, uh, like button or something like that. Uh, and I just had little, um, instructions on like how to install it. And, um, I didn't even think about it. I just like, I was so, I was in such a like documenting and helping people mode. I just didn't even think about it. And then in like three months later, I started actually getting some emails from people and they're saying like, Hey, like, this is cool. How do you actually use it? Like, how do I get it set up? And still me not even thinking about it. I'm like, Oh, uh, here's how you get it working. This is exactly how you do it. Um, and so it wasn't for like another six months where, uh, after I had made the script, where I was like, wait a minute, this is pretty valuable. My wife and her friends are making a bunch more money on Poshmark and they're saving all their time. This is something valuable that I actually could sell to people. Um, and it already has validation, like people are showing up and they're interested in it, they want it. Um, and at the time there was at least one or two other existing products that did something similar. So it was an actual, you know, it was there was a market for it. And so, uh, you know, right around that six month mark, I basically, uh, I put an email sign up in front of that script rather than just having it publicly on my blog. I put an email sign up there and then I posted that email sign up on, uh, Reddit, the subreddit for Poshmark. And I said, Hey, I made this script It automates your sharing. It's totally free. You can use it, put in your email here and then, um, give me feedback on, you know, what you would want to see it do for you basically. Um, and so I did that and about two weeks went by and I sent out another email. So like, how'd it go? Can you give me some feedback? And I got like all these ideas of like things that people wanted, they, what they wanted to see, how, you know, how they, things they could improve and stuff like that. And so that was when I started creating the product and it took me about like four to six weeks to make the product. Um, and most of that time was just figuring out how to integrate Stripe and stuff like that. I had no idea how to do like uh like web hooks and events and things like that so i had to figure all that out in like four or six weeks and so i made a little gui for it i made i actually didn't even make the chrome extension uh to begin with i kept it as a bookmark like you would still click the bookmark to execute it so that it would show up with a gui and stuff like that um and that to this day it still works like that if you really wanted it to um but uh then basically the month later, I flipped it on them and I said, hey, I made some of the features that you guys asked for. Uh, it's 30 bucks a month. Uh, here it is. Uh, you can start using it now and it works really well. And I had about 200 people that had signed up for the free script. Uh, and of those 200 people, I got 10 sales basically on the first day. Um, so that was, that was how Closet Tools got started. And then it wasn't for another two years of just slow, consistent growth, um, mostly via SEO of just like, you know, writing content and then it slowly ranking over time. Uh, it wasn't for another two years before I was able to quit my job and transition over to Poshmark or well, to Closet Tools as my, you know, full-time gig um, just because I have a family and stuff. I actually waited until it made about double what I was making at Corning uh, before I transitioned over. So yeah, that's kind of like the whole the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what an amazing story and journey. And just like, I think the, the thing that really strikes me the most is just is for how organic the whole process was from like, Hey, let me figure out how to like save my, my wife and her friend sometimes and, and make them more money to then mm -hmm. like, Oh, I, I should go share this to other people. And then other people will have all these other ideas. And then you're just like naturally helping them out. 
and then have all sorts of other feature requests and ideas. And like, okay, well, maybe I should like start charging for people for this. And it's just the most mm-hmm. um, kind of like naturally uh, evolving business story I think I've ever heard <laughs> from like <laughs> yeah, right? start to finish. Yeah. The most unplanned business plan ever. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And especially since a lot of it was built off of existing demand and and search volume. So I, uh, one of the things I just wanted to touch on and clarify was I assumed that that first blog post that you shared about how to, you know, like the, the Poshmark sharing button uh, that was on your personal site, that started getting some traffic from yes. keywords, people searching yep. for Poshmark, Poshmark sharing automation or Poshmark sharing types of things, right? Yeah, they call it bots. Yeah, it would be like Poshmark okay. bot or something like that. But yeah, exactly. I started getting traffic from Google. So it kind of just, it fit in with that SEO kind of minded thing. Um, that's, yeah, it's, it, and, and it was kind of interesting because it was one of my first real successes with SEO in that hmm. uh, regard where like it actually trans, you know, it went from me having nothing to, you know, growing to the point where it's getting traffic and I'm ranking for terms and it's actually bringing in relevant traffic. That's people that actually want to pay for this thing. Um, and so mm-hmm. that, you know, so I doubled down on that with closet tools and it's worked really well. Yeah. I think one of the other things that really strikes me is sort of the, the value proposition of Poshmark because there's sort of like these, I'm a big, you know, mental models and frameworks guy and sort of like the, every value proposition always kind of levels up to helping people save time, save money or make more money. And in this mm-hmm. case, I think it probably checks, uh, at least two of those three boxes with saving time sharing and making more money by, you know, the outcome of sharing more. Right. Yep. Um, and so in that case, even though it's, it's like a consumer ask or like prosumer kind of product, it really has strong roots to, uh, what people are really looking for. Yeah. I, and it actually has the save money element too, because, um, automated sharing and automated tasks on Poshmark in general actually aren't technically allowed on the platform. Like if Poshmark were to have mm. found out that you were using automation, then you could get your closet shut down uh, because they do want real people on there. They don't want bots and people just manipulating the platform. Um, so there actually is a pretty big market for virtual assistants that do Poshmark sharing and they'll charge $100, $200 a month to do that, oh, the wow. same work that Closet Tools does for 30 bucks a month. So there's a lot of people that come in that have used a virtual assistant for a few years and they come in, they're like, wow, this is 30 bucks a month. Like this is a steal because it does way more than my virtual assistant ever did. And it's mm-hmm. so easy and I can just do it myself and I have control over it. So yeah, it really, it checks all of those boxes hundred percent. Yeah, it's awesome. I had uh, April Dunford as one of my early guests on the show, all the way back in episode number two, I believe. And I can link to it in the show notes, but she'd be, you know, here like praising and, you know, fist pumping <laughs> because she's all about, you know, competitors aren't just other, you know, tech products. It's also alternatives, which could also be spreadsheets or interns mm-hmm. or VAs yep. in this case. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and when you have that kind of positioning of, Hey, you could spend 200 bucks a month on a VA who does this all manually, or you could pocket 170 and do this automatically yourself. That's a pretty good value proposition, right? That's mm-hmm. that's great positioning against uh, uh, alternative service. Yep. Yeah, hundred percent. And it, you know, it, the product basically sells itself because it, you know, checks all those boxes. I was actually just thinking about it today. I was thinking about tweeting it. Uh, you know, I've never done a sales call. I, I've never, I've never mm-hmm. sold the product physically to anybody. Uh, you know, individually. I've never jumped on a call. I've never had an email where I said, "Hey, you should try this out." Everybody's come organically. Everybody's, you know, come in from, you know, external traffic. They see the product, they try it out and they buy it. And 
yeah, I think it just speaks to the value of it. And I think it's really neat to be in that spot where you have something that's really valuable and you're able to sell it in that way. Yeah. So the, the, one of the interesting parts is that today, as I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that SEO continues to be one of the main sort of drivers of new users, right? Because people are searching for something that does something like this, where it automates the sharing and it, you know, takes away some of the inefficiencies with the, with the workflow. Um, but SEO wasn't like the initial part of the plan when you first started, it was more kind of like, Oh, I just need to get this thing out here and help people. And it's there for people. But you did find that there was some, some search volume, I believe today. So you have this open page. Uh, mm -hmm. I believe the last time I looked, it was around 40,000 a month which is incredible. What I'm wondering yeah. is how did it get to that point? Was it all driven through SEO? Did you find the keywords later and then, you know, kind of crank away at the different types of content? Were there other marketing growth strategies involved with getting the business to where it is now? Yeah. So, um, right away, I actually banked on Reddit, uh, like the first maybe six months. Um, <laughs> that was where I got my first say, you know, hundred users. Um, well, I wouldn't say hundred users maybe like my first 50 users, um, up to like one, two K MRR was where it was really from Reddit. Um, but during that time I was writing content. So I was kind of betting on SEO as a long-term strategy. It hadn't kicked in yet. So I was kind of using Reddit as a way to kind of drum up some traffic, uh, get things moving. And, um, yeah, you know, the, the, this is the interesting thing. And it's funny when I, you know, when I say this on podcasts and stuff like that, because my competitors jump all over it. I've only ever written five blog posts for Closet Tools. I've, I've, I've written five and I've only updated them once a year with some new fresh content and basically a date change. Um, and uh, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people when they talk about SEO, it's always about like pushing out a bunch of content and just like crushing all this content. And that actually works. If you want like a ton of long tail traffic, uh, you know, to what you're doing, then 100% write all the content you possibly can. You're going to rank for these really weird keywords that people are coming in on, and it's going to be great. You're going to get all this traffic. What I did was I focused 100% on the keywords that I knew were uh, buyer intent keywords, that these people were looking for this thing. It is a solution to their problem. And when they get to the bottom of the blog post and I pitch closet tools as the solution to their problem, they're going to click through and they're going to buy it. Um, and that hundred percent has exactly been what it is. Um, and I did SEO exclusively, um, no social media. I have like the handles, but I've never used social media for it. Um, I use it exclusively till about 20 K MRR. And then some of my competitors started running, uh, Google ads on my, uh, keywords. So if somebody Google closet tools, then they'd be like their app showing up. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to start running advertising. So I at least have my keywords and then I ran ads on their keywords too, right back at them. So, um, so I actually have been putting in about, about 3000 a month into, um, into Google ads. And that actually has put brought in pretty consistent traffic. Um, my SEO dominance has waned as my competitors understand that I've only written five blog posts and <laughs> they write the same five blog posts. So now they're starting to rank for some things. And it's, to me, it's almost less important because now after having done it for three years, I have a really strong word of mouth base. Um, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of, uh, larger influencer type sellers that actually promote my product, uh, just organically. I've never asked them to do it, but they do because oh, wow. it's useful. It's useful to them. So I do have a little bit of this kind of, uh, I don't know, just a safe space where like, I'm not so bent on like getting 
all of this traffic and like, oh, my SEO is not working. I need to like panic mode, write 10 blog posts right now. Um, you know, things are working fine. I've been at 40K MRR for about five months. It hasn't really grown. It hasn't really shrank. Uh, to me, that's fine. Uh, you know, I know the business isn't dying. I get emails every day, people saying this thing changed their life. It, it, it saves them so much time. It makes them a bunch of money. So I know the product's still really valuable. Um, so I'm not worried about it. Uh, so yeah, it's a really uh, interesting spot to be in. But yeah, 100% SEO. It, it has worked very, very well for me. And I think um, the thing that I love about it <clears throat> is that I wrote those blog posts like three years ago. <clears throat> and they're still working for me today. You know, the, I, I haven't thought about them at all. You know, uh, the only the only time I think about them is if somebody sends me an email and I'm like, oh, I brought a blog post that addresses that issue, and I just send them the blog post um, because mm -hmm. I already wrote about it. So um, SEO, if you if you go the route of SEO that I went down, where you write the best piece of content for a really strong keyword that you know is going to bring in the right people. Um, you can kind of set it and forget it. And as long as you wrote the best piece of content and nobody else is, you know, one-upping you, 10-upping you, uh, then you're going to keep that spot and it's going to be, it's going to serve you for a long time. And so it's a, it's an automated way of doing marketing where, um, you know, I really haven't had to think about it too much. Yeah. I think one of the things that always brings me back to SEO is that it's maybe, uh, if not, it's one of, if not the only free also recurring sources of traffic where like there's plenty yeah. of free sources of traffic where you can, you right. know, post on social media, you can get listed somewhere, you can get a, yeah. a link somewhere, but recurring yeah. where it's consistent and it's month over month and it even grows and it's defendable mm -hmm. as well is really, really interesting. Um, I want to touch on that a little bit more, but I have to go back to Reddit for a second. Uh, were you posting in a Poshmark specific subreddit? What were the posts like? How often like, I feel like Reddit, for me at least, is kind of like a black box. I'm a, I'm a Reddit user, but I've never had mm -hmm. success in promoting, if you want to call it that, in, in a subreddit. Yeah, I actually got banned from the subreddit, so that's okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> to, to let you know how I was doing things. Um, no, I was just blatantly promoting it, and uh, mm. some people loved it. A lot of people hated it because, you know, like I said, it is, it is a thing that's not allowed on the platform, so there is a lot of taboo around it uh, where people are like, you shouldn't be selling this thing like it's not allowed, it's cheating or whatever. Um, so yeah, I got a lot of hate, but for every person that hated it, somebody else signed up for it silently. So, uh, you know, that's how, that's how that went. But yeah, I eventually got booted off and they didn't like me promoting all the time. And so, yeah, it, the, the opportunity kind of went away. Um, but luckily at that time I had, I had a little bit of traffic coming in stuff like that. So it really didn't skip a beat. It just kept moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And so then obviously SEO kicked in at that point and then, you know, then you have a, a free recurring source of traffic. And then since then, so there's been some, some brand developed and word of mouth and even to the point now where it seems like there's influencers and people who do Poshmark who have, you know, the attention of your target audience are now promoting it for free. Um, but one of the things that comes to mind is, uh, you know, you mentioned Google ads, you have competitors who are also kind of coming at, snipping out your heels on SEO, um, possibly even doing the same things on Reddit or other channels. Um, do you think about like marketing as defense in any way or things that you're doing? Uh, I think the Google ads actually a kind of good example, but just walk me through how you think about marketing long-term and sort of keeping the benefits that you've been reaping. Um, are you thinking about expanding into new channels or just doubling down on the existing channels? Uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think, um, I think honestly, I should be doing more with marketing. <laughs> you know, I think I have, I have, 
I'm, I'm reaping exactly what I've sown. I, I haven't done anything for like mm. a long time. And so now the product is pretty much, you know, staying exactly where it, where it is. Um, luckily it's in a spot where it's a great spot and, you know, first for a solo, you know, venture, it's, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I, to your point, I am exploring different products in the space that I actually want to, um, uh, expand on. There's actually different products mm -hmm. on Poshmark and then also different products for other websites that are similar to Poshmark that my same customer base use, uh, as well. Uh, and automations, it's very similar automations and things like that in the space. Um, you know, there's just, there's just a lot of room for it. And so, um, I think rather than trying to get a lot of new customers, I'm mostly trying to, you know, use the existing foothold that I have to kind of expand and be like, Hey, I can help you in all these other places, other places too. Um, mm. but yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, the whole thing is, is so niche and this is something that I found, at least for most indie hacker products that are successful, is they attach themselves to a growing niche. Uh, and so like this niche, this Poshmark selling niche was definitely not as big, you know, three years ago when it started Closet Tools. It was big, like, you know, Poshmark had maybe like 10 million users and obviously there's sellers on the platform. So like it had, you know, it, there's definite market there, but over time, uh, you know, since then Poshmark's gone public, you know, it's a, they run tons of TV ads, like a lot of people know about Poshmark. Uh, so it's actually a pretty big platform now. And so, um, you know, part of my marketing approach was educating uh, new people to Poshmark on how to sell well on Poshmark and then using closet tools as a way to amplify their efforts. Um, rather than trying to target like super pro, like, already doing a ton of revenue on Poshmark sellers um, because I knew those people would eventually come in and they would use some sort of automation. I don't really have to educate them on the best ways to use it. They know how to use it. Um, but with a growing niche, you're getting people in the space that have never, uh, never even done it before. So if you're the first person to educate them, then you're the first person to let them know that like, hey, this thing exists and it can really help you. Um, and so I've, I'm super bullish on attaching yourself to a growing niche, but then also being an educator in that space. And I think that that is just like, it just leads to growth in the future because you're educating all these new people coming into this niche and uh, you're, you're leading them, you're handholding them through the process. And then eventually it comes to the point where they're buying your services or whatever your product is because it helps them in the way that you taught them exactly how to be successful. Yeah, I mean the, I think that's one of the keys to uh, a lot of creators and indie hacker success is just uh, attaching yourself to a platform or sort of like riding the wave. Maybe as Justin Jackson would yeah. say, where yeah. you find this this growing trend, um, mm -hmm. this demonstrated demand somewhere, and then you just hook yourself into that current's already going right. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that sort of you know that that's the good side. That's the benefit. One of the downsides. One of the risks is uh, platform risk possible, which yes. can turn out into a bunch of different ways. Mm -hmm. um, you have been mentioned from the beginning that Closet Tools actually is one of those kind of like automations slash bots that aren't even allowed on the platform. And so if, if they were to find out, then sort of your customers' uh, stores would be banned. Um, mm -hmm. How do you, what's your approach to platform risk, um, both in the sense of for, for yourself on Poshmark as well as for your customers? Yeah, it's something that I've thought about from the beginning, and that's one of the reasons why I've never hired anybody for Closet Tools because of that risk. I mean, literally, 
tomorrow Poshmark can make one decision and my entire business is gone. Um, you know, so from that standpoint, uh, I've never wanted to put all of my eggs in the basket of closet tools as an automation engine for Poshmark. Um, and that's part of the reason why for the next year or so, I do want to focus on expanding to different, uh, not only markets, but also different tools within the same space. Uh, things that would technically be allowed and technically be, you know, perfectly fine to use, uh, you know, products to use. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there, there is a lot of risk there and, you know, it's an interesting one. I think I've gotten more confident with it over time. Just, you know, uh, just as time has gone on, I just worry about it less because I know that, you know, it's, <laughs> it's been existing for this amount of time and it has a lot of, you know, popularity and they still haven't done anything about it. So I don't really think they're going to do anything about it. At the end of the day, the tool makes them more money because sellers are coming to Poshmark to sell their items and they're selling more items. So Poshmark is a cut of every item. They're making more money. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been less and less worried about that. Um, but, um, yeah, certainly platform risk is a huge thing. And I think if, if I were to do the SaaS thing again, uh, I totally would try to build something, you know, very independent, um, and something that's, uh, a platform in and of itself. Uh, just so that you can avoid that risk and you can really double down on something and you can invest in it for the future. You know, you can hire people confidently knowing that this thing's going to exist for the next 20, 30, 40 years. You know, it's something that's a very long-term oriented, like, like closet tools. I don't really see myself doing this in five years, you know, maybe 10 years. It might still be around. I'm not hundred percent sure if it is still around in 10 years, that would be crazy to me. Um, because I feel like just the way the pace of technology and stuff like that, like, there's going to be something better. There's, you know, something's going to dry up. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I think the next time around is more my way of, uh, you know, building something long-term for, for the future, for sure. I'm also curious to hear your take on pricing. I think you had mentioned, uh, though $29 a month was the first price or sticker that you, that you put on the product. And yep. I believe it hasn't changed or you tell me if it, if it has changed since then. Uh, but I'm curious, you know, one, How'd you pick 29 bucks a month and two, why have, or haven't you changed the price since then? Yeah. Um, it hasn't changed. Uh, the, the thing about the pricing was it was mostly, I set it at 30 bucks a month as a filter to keep out price sensitive customers. Um, you know, I didn't want to be the $5 a month product. You know, I wanted to be a little bit more premium so that I could have slightly less customers and make enough money to obviously work kind of full-time and stuff like that. Um, so that's mostly what the price was. Uh, I also pitched it as like a dollar a day. Like that was kind of my thing. It's like for a dollar a day, save this many hours and make more money. Like that's a pretty easy pitch. Um, I think the reason why it hasn't changed over time is because the, because like you said, it is a kind of a prosumer market. It's not a exclusively B2B market so there isn't like this unlimited pool of money that you can pull from where you can charge a thousand bucks a month and these people are actually going to pay for it um you know these are just like people that are you know mostly like moms that you know have kids and they're trying to save time on this so that they can spend more time with their kids um and so like and a lot of times uh these people don't even use the app for the whole year they'll they'll sell in spurts they'll buy a bunch of items and then they'll sell them and then they're done with poshmark for a few months before they do it again you know maybe they do it to get christmas funds or something like that um you know like that's actually a pretty common customer um and so like those people 
um, aren't necessarily price sensitive, like they understand the value of it, but they're not going to pay a hundred bucks a month for it. You know, like that's kind of the limit. And if they're going to pay a hundred bucks a month for it, they would just do the V their, you know, the virtual assistant route. So there's kind of this like window of like, you know, 30 to 60 bucks a month, somewhere in there is probably the max of what I could charge before people would probably stop paying for it and just find, you know, some other alternative or something like that. Um, there certainly are some features that I've come out with in the last few months that I definitely should be charging a lot for. <laughs> um, there's, uh, there's one feature in particular, the first day that I launched it, I got so many emails, probably two dozen emails from customers saying like, this is like the greatest thing ever. They had like their best sales days ever. It was just the coolest thing. And they made like a ton of money. And, um, for me, I, you know, I, I, I think it kind of comes back to like what we're talking about where, you know, you reap what you sow. So like, I'm really investing in these people. I'm giving them real value. They're going to stick around for years. They're going to tell their friends about it. It's going to grow. And I think that's kind of more what I'm betting on is, you know, it being something that's really valuable and it's not that expensive, uh, but it's also like premium. It's not like super cheap. So that's kind of, that's, that's the pricing thing for me. Yeah. I think it's an interesting discussion because, I think for a lot of indie hackers and just product developers uh, in general, there's usually a couple of different routes that people go or uh, either they're very like insecure about charging for, for their product. And so mm -hmm. they make it free or freemium and they give like a really generous free plan. Uh, mm -hmm. Or maybe that's part of the strategy and it's sort of like, okay, well, let's, let's get a lot of free users and then we'll try mm -hmm. to convert, you know, a decent amount of these into paid users once they've reached some sort of milestone or, uh, or, um, or usage within the product. Um, and so that, you know, it's usually like a, a volume play, right? Where you try to appeal to the most amount of people possible. And then there's the other side of the spectrum, like you said, where it's maybe like more like the thousand dollars a month, $10,000 a month, you know, B2B mm -hmm. SaaS, where you're just kind of like price extracting and value extracting. You're just charging as yeah. much as you can get away with. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so that window in the middle, you know, just enough, I sort of like where you said where it's a dollar a day is just enough to make people think about it. Uh, to mm -hmm. have them be serious, but it's less than you could be charging for potentially, right? Where it's not in the, the 60 to a hundred dollar range. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the, the freemium thing is interesting because, you know, I think right now, um, if I wanted to kind of build a moat around closet tools, I certainly, sh you know, should introduce some sort of free thing, uh, just to get people to jump over and, and try it out. Um, that's actually what one of my competitors did and they actually got quite a few users. But those are the users that I didn't want. You know, those are the people that don't want to pay for anything and they just want to use something for free. So uh, I'm getting all the ones that actually understand what's valuable and what's going to make them more sales. So, you know, that's so I'm pretty comfortable with what I'm doing right now. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting one. Um, I do like the more B2B route. I think that it's a lot easier to sell to someone that's not like begging you for it to be like less you know, like cost less or something like that, like a, like a consumer product would be, or they're like, you know, like baffled that it costs $30 a month or something like that. Um, so like, I like that about it where, you know, you're not, you're not dealing with that a lot, but, um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I want to go back to SEO a little bit, just cause I feel like, you know, if this is really like the main growth channel that's gotten you to where you are today and 40 grand a month is nothing to sniff at and mm -hmm. probably every indie hackers dream they're looking at like how do i get there what what does it yeah. take um for people just getting started with seo or considering seo as a channel for their products uh mm -hmm. what do they need to know like what does jordan o'connor know what did he do 
that everyone else didn't do? Or what, what would you advise people to do? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, first of all, don't build a product unless people are actually searching for a solution to a problem. Like that's, that's, that's number one. That's the only way to do SEO is to solve a problem for a question that a person is asking. Um, otherwise, the traffic is irrelevant. It's, people aren't looking for a solution to their problem. Um, they're not going to come to your website looking to buy something. Um, and so like that, that in and of itself kind of is like the approach for selling a product through SEO. Um, you need to be solving a problem that people are looking for. Um, and I think the, the thing for me with SEO, um, for some reason over the last decade, there's been all of these tactics and things that people do to manipulate Google into ranking higher, into gaming traffic, into you know ranking for different things quickly. And every year, Google pushes out core updates that emphasize the fact that the best concise content that actually solves the problem of the person looking for the content is going to rank at the top. And so yes, people can figure out the algorithm and they can game it, but then that doesn't work six months from now. And the thing that's always worked that has never changed is the most valuable piece of content for a specific keyword ranks at the top. And that's what Google has done for the past 20 years is fine tune their algorithm to rank the best content at the top. And so if you're not writing the best content, if you're not putting the best content, and, I, and actually I, I say writing loosely, you know, the best content could be a video, the best content could be a product listing, it could, you know, like an Amazon product listing. Like if somebody searches for, you know, podcasting, like, you know, it's gonna be an Amazon listing at the top, you know, like, or, or a well-written article on the 20 best, you know, podcasting mics. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of different things that can rank at the top, but if you're not seeking to be the most valuable piece of content at the top of the search results, then you're not really trying to rank well for content. If your goal is to pump out, you know, hundreds and hundreds of articles that are all garbage, they're written by some third party writing service that knows nothing about your customers. They know nothing about helping out your customers and, you know, what their needs are and how to actually solve their problems then you're kind of just shooting blind and SEO is not really going to work for you as a channel. Um, and so for me, the easiest way to do that is to figure out the keywords you want to rate for. And I had talked earlier about um, intent-based keywords. So these are people that are Googling problems that they want answers to and they want solutions to. Um, you don't want to rank for keywords that people are coming in and it's, you know, they just want to like entertain themselves or they want like, I don't know, just frivolous stuff. You want the hardcore people that are like, I have this problem. What's the best thing I can get to solve this problem? Um, and so like, that's the type of content you want to write. Um, and the best way to write that content, to figure out what that content is, is to figure out what your keywords are and then Google those keywords and look at what's ranking in the top 10. And usually what I do is I just combine all of the top 10 pieces of content. And, you know, I don't copy it literally, but I mean, you can take pieces and elements from all of those pieces of content and you can combine them into this mega post or, you know, uh, you know, pillar piece of content that solves all the problems that addresses every single thing that everybody else was, you know, uh, putting in their content. And now you have this piece of content that is really, you know, a wholesome piece of what that person's trying to look for. Uh, and if you can do that 
and also write it in a way that's concise and very helpful, you know, fast website, easy to use, the solutions right at the top, um, then I think you're going to be in the sweet spot for Google. Google's really going to like you. Um, you know, the thing Google likes, <clears throat> and this is actually one of the ranking uh, factors, is did the person come back to Google and click, you know, the second result? Because if they did that, then that means that the first result didn't do what they thought it was going to do. Um, so if people are coming to your article and then they're just leaving Google, like they're not even coming back to Google, that's a good signal for Google that, hey, uh, this piece of content did exactly what it was supposed to do because it answered their question or it solved their problem. Um, and so like that's part of why you want your site to be fast because you want them to come to your thing and you want it to load fast and you want their answer to be right there so that they got exactly what they were looking for. Um, and so like if you, I think if you have all of those pieces in line, you're like 90% of the way there to doing very well with SEO. I mean, I think one of the things that a lot of people who are not sort of uh, in marketing or haven't done marketing before is it sort of feels like black magic, rocket science a little bit, and you have to make it so complicated. But like, really, it's quite simple. Like I said, if you mm -hmm. really break down to what are the first principles of mm -hmm. SEO, and it's like, just create the best piece of content. And then like, show Google that it's the best piece of content by creating, you know, a great fast website that's well structured and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of checks a couple of the boxes. Right. But it's really not that hard. We were the ones that sort of make it hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. speaking of which, uh, some of the things we make in our hard on ourselves is not having the right skills or kind of, um, techniques or abilities, uh, to make it as an indie hacker for, from your perspective and what's worked for you, what are the, the skills or things you need to know or be able to do to, to make it as an indie hacker? whether you're sort of a, a solo founder or you have a co-founder, um, just like skills you think they're top of mind and, and uh, really important for today. Yeah, I think, um, you know, outside of coding and outside of like product and things like that, I think that writing is actually one of the most important skills that you can develop. Um, I think it's, it's very important because it allows you to think clearly. If you have good writing, you think clearly, you communicate effectively, um, and it, it it just kind of it checks all the boxes for the things that are very valuable to building a business, especially as an indie hacker. Um, if you're very good at writing uh, and your writing is clear enough that customers can come to your blogs and they click through to your product because you convince them that it's something that's valuable, um, you're 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 well aligned with the problem set of the customer. You know the solution of the customer. You're able to communicate that effectively, um, and then also to that standpoint. Uh, with customer service and things like that, how you handle customers. If you can't communicate effectively through writing, mostly via like email and chat and stuff like that, um, then your customers aren't going to stick around. They're not going to think you're helpful. Um, and so I think writing just kind of makes the whole thing easier. I think if you're great at writing, I, honestly, I think a lot of things in life are a lot easier. Um, but specifically for indie hacking and business, I think it's like the top number one skill. Um, and so that's something I've been practicing for years. That's why I keep my personal blog. That's why I tweet a lot. I like to write. I like to test out ideas. I like to test out writing formats. And that's mostly what all that is, is a playground for trying to communicate very effectively. And then once you get to the point where you write something and with very minimal editing, people look at it and they're like, wow, this is a great piece of writing. Then you're at the point where, um, you know, you have a good skill that you can use to then sell your product and stuff like that. And so then, yeah, then obviously after that, it's coding, it's uh, 
product, it's automation. Uh, I think automation is totally underrated. Um, you know, a lot of people quote Paul Graham and they say do things that don't scale. Um, and I alluded to the fact earlier in the podcast, I've never, I've never sold one-on-one closet tools to any customer. Um, so I've only ever done things that scale. So, you know, I, I think, um, and a lot of my automation experience comes from my work at Corning. Uh, you know, I was doing, um, you know, data, data acquisition where, you know, you're, you're moving a motor, you're, you're turning on a laser, you're collecting data, then you're rotating the lens and you're collecting more data from a different perspective. And so you had to build these systems of automation that your whole goal was to save the operator time because otherwise they'd have to move things manually and then push a button and collect data. So like that was my job is to automate things. And, and not, not only that, but it automated in such a simple way that somebody, you know, that's getting paid $12 an hour in manufacturing can just come in and push one button and it does exactly what they think it's going to do, you know, exactly correctly the first time. Um, and so that type of automation, the simplicity of that automation and just delivering that simplicity to a customer, I think is a great skill to have because it allows you to build a product that's very simple. It's very easy to use. It's approachable. Um, even the least technical user can jump in and have a good idea of what's going on and how to use it and what's the best way to use it. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, I think, you know, those are a few of the skills and, and then like, you know, like I said, obviously coding and stuff like that, like you should be good at coding, you should be good at, you know, making, you know, good design and stuff like that. But I think a lot of those are secondary to effective communication and just building something that simply does the solution that they needed to do. And, uh, speaking of one of the ideas that you've been experimenting with and, um, uh, you're, you're tweeting about putting out there, blogging about, uh, was quant secrets. So mm-hmm. uh, I believe it was a sort of a algorithmic trading um, bot slash, you know, system mm-hmm. software product, however you want to describe it. Um, <laughs> and as I believe you ended up shutting it down. Um, Why did you shut it down? And what did you learn from from that experience? Yeah, it was a cool experience. Um, and I hope to do something similar soon. Um, so I have this and you can if you look at my Twitter profile, the pin tweet is this idea of basically um, writing content, building an audience, and then building something for that audience is kind of the way to boil it down. And so um, I, I kind of wanted to find a way to, to do that. And the thing about it was also to kind of prove that you can learn a new skill by spending an hour a day on something. Uh, the same way I built Closet Tools. I, don't, I didn't talk about this, but in the first two years I was working uh, the first hour or two in the morning, I would drive to Starbucks before I went to my day job and I would work on closet tools. And that was pretty much the only time I worked on closet tools because I had a family, I got kids. Like I, I was, you know, I didn't have time the rest of the day to work on it. So I would get up at five o'clock, work on closet tools for two hours and then go to my, my day job. And so I built all of closet tools in two hours a day. Uh, and I kind of still do that today. I only work probably like three or four hours a day uh, on closet tools. Um, but so I kind of wanted to do that same thing where I was like, Hey, I'm going to take an hour a day and I wanted some accountability. So I live streamed the whole thing and I spent an hour a day. I learned all of this stuff about quant trading and how do you, how to do algorithmic trading. Um, and the, the reason why I shut it down, it was actually working pretty well. Uh, but I didn't really have any interest in trading in the normal stock market. I only wanted to do crypto trading. Um, and I think what I was doing actually would have worked really well for the stock market. I just had no interest in it. Uh, but after developing all of these pretty complex algorithms that were actually all working really well, um, I couldn't be just buying and holding, uh, 
crypto assets. Like if for, for every single algorithm that I wrote, if you would have just bought a significant amount in the beginning and just held it for the whole time, you would have made so much more money uh, rather than trying to, you know, buy low or buy high or buy low and sell high. Um, so I, I kind of shut it down in the, by just, uh, by wanting to have a lack of effort in the future, basically the simplicity thing of like, if I can just simply just buy a bunch of crypto and it's going to do really well in the future, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to just, I'm not going to build this whole system out that I'm going to watch and babysit all the time and, you know, try to make work when I can just buy and buy and hold. So that was the reason I shut it down. Um, the other reason why I shut it down is because I've, and, and this alludes to kind of like what I was talking about earlier in the podcast where like I kind of figured out what works for me and what doesn't work for me. And I kind of really didn't like building something for myself. I really liked building stuff that helps like other people, like products and business, you know, creating a business that helps other people. Um, I didn't get much like energy and joy of just kind of like building something that served me only. Um, and so it kind of got to this point where I was like, eh, this is just... It's something that I'm building for myself. It's not really helping other people. It's mostly just me trying to make a bunch of money. Um, and so like, I didn't really like that. I wanted to build something that helps people. So um, so now I know for the future, the next time I try this, I'm gonna build something that's more focused on building, uh, you know, serving other people, helping other people, and you know, uh, you know, something that could eventually become a business that actually serves other people and stuff like that. So yeah. Any, uh, any new ideas on the horizon on uh, what you might put yourself uh, to uh, in, in the next in the next round or the next cycle next experiment yeah I I kind of I, I get every once in a while I get the physical product bite um, mostly because I have the electrical engineering background so I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with building mm -hmm. some sort of electronic product um, I think there's a lot of it's it's kind of like the platform thing where like if you really hit it big with a pro with a physical product like Apple right like when you have the physical link for a customer you own the whole stack like Apple has so much dominance over Google and Facebook because they own the physical device they can on the flip of a switch minus you know monopolistic tactics you know they can they can make anything go away or they can allow anything um, and so I'm not saying I'm going to build a cell phone but uh, I think that the, the physical product route is kind of cool. So, um, you know, I've been thinking about, uh, you know, some sort of electronic product. Uh, and um, other, the other thing that I was interested in is uh, homeschooling. So we're actually going to be homeschooling our kids. And, mm. um, and I think there's a lot of, there's a lack of a uh, kind of a hub of good information on homeschooling. There's a lot of like super indie, just like solo people that are like kind of talking about homeschooling. Um, but there's no like central place where you can like get the blueprint for the most successful way to do um, homeschooling. Uh, that and there's a lack of modern technology that actually, uh, you know, automates things for parents to make homeschooling a viable solution um, so that they're not spending those eight hours a day actually teaching their kids like there's you know there's ways to obviously abstract some of that time and actually have technology take over and do certain things even if it's literally just you know uh you know grading quizzes and stuff like things that can save the parent time things that allow them to know they're on the right track you know their kids smart enough you know or, you know they're in the good you know, they know they're in a good spot um and so like that's that's something i've been tinkering around with because mostly because it'd be valuable for me but it would all, i know it'd be valuable for a lot of other people 
and certainly with you know with COVID and 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 just the way things have gone more remote you know the public schools are you know kind of in this weird spot now um you know it's something that I, that i think will continue to grow in the future and so it kind of tack it, it checks the growing niche box you know of like this is something that's going to be a bigger thing in the future not smaller so um i would say that's something else i'm looking at yeah yeah all right really really exciting stuff uh i'm excited to to follow along and see what else you uh you experiment with and what else you devote yourself to um starting to wrap up here a little bit i'd love to take a peek into your swipe file as it were into some marketing examples uh campaigns landing pages ads commercials whatever uh you think is worth saving that sort of you know communicates a message markets a product etc um any examples that come to mind that you could walk me through yeah, yeah. So um, one of my one of my favorite marketers, uh, you know, pretty much ever is uh, Brian Dean from Backlinko, and and of course he's he's an SEO uh, guy. So you know, he that's probably part of the reason why I really like him. Um, but one of the things I think that find that I find unique about him is uh, he's playing a very long term game, and he has a it's him and a team of uh, a couple other writers and developers, um, but they they focus really deeply on writing the absolute best content um, around a very large topic. Um, and so they'll spend a month, two months, three months writing a blog post, just one blog post. Um, and, uh, you know, over time, uh, you know, it, it's not a great growth strategy starting out. Like if you want to like get a big bang, you know, then this is not the way to do things. But if you want to be seen as the expert in your industry in five years, 10 years, if you want to be seen as the best in the world at something, somebody that has the best ideas, the most clear ideas, um, then, you know, taking this approach and trying to really write their best thing, doing your homework, studying and working on the writing, iterating on it over time. Um, I think it's just a, just a, a, a massively under tapped way of doing long-term marketing for a product or a service. And, uh, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, uh, I've, I, I, we talked about this earlier, I've, I've given him probably $10,000 at this point because I bought all of his products and they've all been amazing and he does a really good job. And I think that, uh, the, the methodology that he's put out is that everything is quality. Everything is just exceptional. And so you would expect the same thing from any product that he puts out. Um, and so I think if you take the quality approach, if you take the long-term approach, it, it ends up working out way better in the end than trying to, you know, come up with quick hacks to kind of piecemeal your way, you know, through the future kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So anything, anything from Brian Dean, anything back Linko is like my most favorite thing. And he's got great sale page, sales pages and stuff like that for his courses. So like, he's got, he's got great, he's amazing newsletter. Uh, just like, yeah, he checks all the boxes. You should definitely copy everything he does basically. <laughs> I know Brian is so interesting because he, uh, he's just like one of those people that's, um, that is so like silently successful, you know, yeah. like everything he does, he does really, really well. And he'll like make a splash there for a second where it's like new blog post or you yep. know, new YouTube channel or like, here's this thing I'm doing. I'm launching, you know, you like get a snippet of whatever he's doing and you can just see that it's so thoughtful and so intentional and then it's kind of gone. And then like you forget about him and then he's, you know, he's <laughs> off kind of doing his thing again until the next mm -hmm. time where you get this little splash or snippet of whatever he's working on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, and it, it, but it kind of like, it triggers this thing where like, 
anytime you post anything, it's an instant click. It's an instant like, yeah. yes, I'm going to check this out because it's it's the best thing. And so I think it, it, it kind of drives that habit of like, oh, anything he puts out is just going to be exceptional um, rather than, you know, trying to spam everybody and be like low quality stuff. And then people end up unfollowing you or just like, eh, I don't, you know, I'm, not, I'm just going to stop paying attention to this person. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. Yeah. Yeah. He's really, really built his, his brand, his reputation on top of that. Um, so final question for you. When I say everything is marketing, what does that mean to you? What comes to mind? Um, you know, I think, you know, it kind of goes back to like what I said in the beginning of the podcast where, you know, I started learning web development. I started learning these hard skills. And at the end of the day, all of that stuff does matter, but it, it, it means nothing if you can't distribute that to people. If you can't serve people with your skills and the only way to allow people to understand who you are and understand what you do and what you do well and how you can serve them well and and, you know the problems you can solve for them if you can't communicate that if you can't distribute it then what you do has zero value whether whether it's crazy hard or really easy Um, and so for me marketing really is everything if you don't have the marketing channels built then you can't serve people and if you can't serve people then you're not going to have a successful business so uh, that 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 at the end of the day it's it's so critical to everything super well said Jordan it's been an honor and a pleasure to speak with you and just a wealth of knowledge appreciate you being so open and uh, transparent I'm going to look forward to continuing along the journey if anyone's interested also there is uh, I'll drop a link to his open page as well and to his blog, uh, but appreciate you coming on. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Jordan for coming on the show and make sure to check out closet tools and refer anyone you know who sells on Poshmark. If you can spare a moment, it'll go a long way for me. If you can click on the link in the show notes and pop on Twitter to thank him for coming on the show and sharing everything he did today. To wrap up, here are a few of my takeaways. First of all, it's remarkable just how far five blog posts can take you. If there's enough search volume and the conversion rate is high enough, that can be enough to build a lucrative business. Jordan wrote these posts years ago and they still go to work for him every day. Secondly, there are definitely trade-offs to platforms. On one hand, it's easy, you know, built-in demand and distribution. On the other hand, it's a liability with risks of getting shut out or blocked. And third, once again, SEO is not rocket science. Build content that satisfies the search intent, check the boxes for best practices, and then have patience. If you've got a question or a takeaway you want to share from this episode, you can actually do so in the Swipe Files community. You can chat with guests of the podcast as well as a bunch of other top-notch marketers. Join a community that will help you do your best work and be prolific. Check it out at swipefiles.com membership. You can also get my free newsletter, Marketing Weekly. It's a curated digest of the best marketing content in your inbox every Sunday. And finally, check the show notes for all the important links. And if you could do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you are and leave a review so more people like yourself can find the show and help me grow the podcast. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.